You're listening to Sermon Cast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. You are alone, a solitary figure, connected joint and bone to no one but yourself. And this is the life you chose. Let me introduce you to yourself. You are cut off, separated. You ran into your isolation, and now there is no way back into the family from which you came. Let me introduce you to yourself. You are stained. You have sealed your isolated separation with guilt. Let me introduce you to yourself. You are under the shroud of slavery. In trying to own yourself, you became owned. Your master is your sin. You serve nothing but your own isolation and separation. This is your identity. This is who you are. But let me introduce you to who he is. He is God's special possession. There is no shroud of darkness on him, yet he fell under the dark veil of death so that God might specially possess us. Let me introduce you to who he is. He is the holy nation. He is perfect and the fullness of God's kingdom. Yet he left his kingdom of purity to take on our impurity. He tarnished his holiness by becoming sin for us. Let me introduce you to who he is. He is the royal priesthood. There was no distance between himself and God, yet the royal one was struck for our separation. He took the blow for our absence. Let me introduce you to who he is. He is the chosen one. Before the foundations of the earth, he chose to stand alone to bring us to God. That is who he is. That is the identity of Jesus. But there is even more. So let me introduce you to who you are now. You are now the chosen people. No longer alone, you have been brought into a full and eternal family with God himself as your father and the Prince of Peace as your brother. Let me introduce you to who you are now. You are now the royal priesthood. You are the sons and daughters of the king who stand as a beacon of light to a separated world that there is hope and there is access to the Father. Let me introduce you to who you are now. You are now the holy nation. You have been sprinkled with the blood of God's perfect Son so that now all his goodness, all his righteousness, 
all his perfection is credited to you. Let me introduce you to who you are now. You are now God's special possession. You have been sealed for salvation. You have been protected with perseverance. He who bought you with his blood will never let you fall away, for he loves you and he owns you. This is who you were. This is who he is. This is who you are now. This is your identity. So if I was going to stand up here this morning and I would start uh, trash talking you and start saying bad things about you and calling out your character, uh, what would happen? Some of you would jump me, nasty. I'd get rolled in the parking lot, right? Uh, right, whatever. Uh, what would happen? Most of us would be offended, right? That's logical. But what if what I said, you started believing me about what I said, and you're like, you know what, Rob, you are right. You are, you're correct. I am trash. I am not good enough. I am daddy, yada, yada, yada. What if I started that this morning and that's what happened? Now, that seems a little ridiculous that I would do that, and it would seem even more ridiculous that you would believe me. But the question is, the bigger question is for us is, then why do we believe it when we talk about ourselves that way? Everybody understand what I'm saying? Like, we're so protective about other people's words and what people say, yet if you're like me, the person that's the most critical of you is the one that resides in your head. Amen? And if for some reason, since it comes from the inside, we automatically think it's true because it's coming from us. And if it's coming from me about myself, then obviously it must be something that's true. The problem with that is, is something called the Bible. Amen? What kind of reflection do you see? Uh, we're obviously talking about um, um, identity. We have spent, it's been, we used to talk about identity a lot. We haven't spent time talking about it. So I thought as we're going back to some basics, we'd bring it back in because I think that many of us have an identity problem, including myself. What kind of reflection do you see spiritually when you look in the mirror? When you see yourself, if I was going to ask you this morning, even if I had a little, just a little card put on there, I was like, if you could describe yourself and how you think you are spiritually and how you think you are, period, uh, what would you say? And I would doubt <laughs> that I would get a lot of feedback that said, I'm awesome. I'm just the best son or daughter on the face of the earth. And I'm just so obedient. And I'm just, I'm just a gift to the kingdom. Now, if you did that, pride is an issue. <laughs> Right. And so <laughs> that's not that's not that's probably not what would happen. What I would get if you were honest with me on this card, you would probably slay yourself and you'd probably say a bunch of things about I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not that. And the problem with that is, again, is 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 the Bible. I've struggled with identity my entire lifetime. I have looked for places to belong. When I was a kid, I tried way too hard, come from broken family, all the stuff. Uh, you know, just, just trying to make up grand, bizarre stories to try to fit in with people. And, and, and then when I became a believer, you think that that would stop. And because I know what the scripture says, the only problem with that is, is that my flesh and the scripture and the Holy Spirit are at war within me about what's right and what's not. And if you ask myself what I think of myself, I would say it's absolutely trash. The problem with that again is, the Bible. Thank you, son, for saying the Bible. What a good child you are. Amen. Um, what I am and what people say 
See, poor identity is, um, is a plague amongst Christendom. And I'm not talking about, hey, I'm a, I'm a true reformed guy. I believe in total depravity. We are like scum of the earth. And only by the grace of God are we cleared. But the grace of God cleanses us, and now we are the righteousness of God. Amen? Like there is something to be said about what the Bible says about us versus what we think about us. And if you don't buy into that, then essentially we're almost calling God a liar. If we'll believe things about the scriptures, but you won't walk in the fullness of what the scripture says about you, you are not taking God at what he has said. You're not taking him. We are not being faithful to the fullness. And you're saying like, well, I don't want to go around and be full of myself. I doubt that that's going to be a problem, right? But if we walk in new identity, it's like when I became a believer, I expected these things just to change. It didn't. I had to renew my mind and I still have to renew my mind today. Today, just like yesterday and like two weeks before today, I got up with garbage being preached over me out of my own head. Anybody, can anybody, anybody relate to what I'm saying this morning? Not good enough, you're not smart enough, I shouldn't go, blah, 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 all these things. And again, this morning, I had to make a decision. Okay, this is how I feel about myself. And, and by the way, you don't have to be Stuart Smalley, right? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Anybody old enough to remember that? I'm not, did I get in trouble for quoting Saturday Night Live things? The wife's giving me the head shake. I'm okay, all right. Um, but um, but you don't have to be you don't have to be a an idiot that's fake. You just have to know what the reality of God's word says about you and who you are and what that means. Amen. So there's a phrase I've used around here a lot, and it's kind of like our boom for today. But our identity is in whose we are and not who we are or have been. We are who He says we are. You <laughs> do not get to define yourself. Only the creator, the one who created you, gets to define who you are. And so today, if you are a follower of Jesus, and this, is, this message is primarily for followers of Jesus, yet if you're not a follower of Jesus, you desperately need an identity change, and that comes with submission and lordship of Jesus Christ in your life without question. Um, but getting this and knowing this about whose you are changes everything because who you are in our world is dictated by what I've done, what I've said, what people have said about me, and what I do. The only real reality for a believer is everything and anything that God says about you. Have you been baptized in what the Lord says about you? And do you feel like you walk in that? Or is it even a battle for you? Have you just given up a long time ago about what, what God's word says about you and who you are called to be? Amen? This will change your life. Learning identity in Christ Jesus changes your life because if you know it or not, your lack of identity, our lack of identity as people, and I'm including myself, reflects on everything you do. If you're not secure in who you are in Christ Jesus, you have a problem with your intimacy with the Lord. Sons and daughters sit at the feet of the Lord, guilt-shame-ridden children uh, who, who are full of just conflict about who they are very rarely sit at the feet of Jesus, right? Sons and daughters sit at the feet of Jesus. And if you don't walk in the fact that you're sons and daughters, that's going to break. How you treat other people, if you're not secure, you, this is how we start keeping up with the Joneses and how we start being critical of other people. Why? Because critical people, what's their problem? You ever know any really positive critical people? Does that sound like a stupid question? 
That was kind of a stupid question. Yes, thank you for those who said yes. I appreciate your honesty. The point is, it's like critical people are critical for a reason, right? And then, then how many times, though, have we said we've seen critical people and critical hearts, and we've had critical hearts inside the church? Why? It's because we don't know who we are. And it also means we don't know who other people are. Because when we see them as God sees them, then it changes everything. If I see you as Jesus sees you, if I treat you the way that you are called to be treated because you're a son or daughter of the Most High, it changes the way I treat you. Amen. Um, there's some very clear things in the scriptures that come over and over again. Who God is, is, number one. What he's done for us in the world through Christ Jesus is another one. And also one of these common themes in the scriptures is who he says we are. And so if you open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 10, for those of you who carry their paper Bibles, who's got paper Bibles today? Oh, yeah, look at that. Dang, that's like 10%. We're on the upflow. For those of you who use your devices, no shame, get out your devices. Give a little shout out on Instagram or something. Slackers. This is the quintessential, one of the quintessential identity verses in all the scriptures, verses 9 through 10. This is this. It'll be up on the wall also. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so if we're reading in this scripture, who's he talking to? Context is always helpful in Second Peter, excuse me, in First Peter. Peter's talking about those that, are, that have been dispersed. There's great persecution that's going on. God's people are scattering from everywhere. And right before our text in 9 and 10, in verse 7 and 8, it says this, in First Peter 2, 7 and 8, it says, so the honor is for you who believe. That is who the but you is. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobey the word and they were destined to do so. Uh, that's some good reformed theology right there. Uh, but so, so the honor is for you who believe. This is for followers of Jesus. And as we start to break this down, I just want to break these down one by one. Number one, when verse 9, it says, we are a chosen race. Now, the things at one time that were exclusively for Israel, and by the way, we should be praying for Israel and the people of Israel and people of the Middle East. I hope that your heart has been stirred for that this week. Um, but all the promises that were given to Israel that were exclusive are now ours. All the promises that God was given, all the promises that belong to Israel are now ours. So when we talk about a chosen race, we are a chosen race of people, a race being, you know, not necessarily demographic, not by color, but by who our father is. Exodus 19, five through six, something given exclusively to Israel. So we thought, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Whose is that now? When God gives the promises through um, Abraham 
about his descendants being as many as the stars in the sky. Who is he talking about? He's talking about us. So now this chosen race is a part of us. Chosen people are race. Race defines a class of people unified by a community of interests, habits, and circumstances. We are not a race of color. We are a race of location, or not a race of location, a race of color, but we're a race of chosenness. Everybody say chosenness. What race are you? I am a chosen. <laughs> this is why I don't understand things like racism amongst people that are believers. I don't understand ever how people like the Klan and foolish entities like that ever use scripture and how slave masters owned, owned people by the use of the scripture. Some of the most stupidest eisegeting I've ever seen on the face of the earth. Excuse me if I get a little heated about that. But the point is, we are a chosen race. We are all, if we are followers in Christ Jesus, we are one. We are one people. We are one chosen race. Amen? And this is significant part because this is a we thing and it's powerful. What are we chosen for? We're chosen by him. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Let me say it again. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You were chosen by the sovereign God of heaven. I don't know what kind of identity issues you have, but if you are a follower in Christ Jesus, number one, everyone is created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. Every single person on the face of the earth is created in the Imago Dei. That's why we have love and respect for every single person on the face of the earth. But there's another level. Not all people are children of God. People are creation of God, but they are not children of God. Children of God are the ones who call him father. And the ones that call him father, as we read in the scriptures, are the ones that he have chosen to call him father. We are chosen ones. God, for some reason, whatever it is, in your identity piece inside your head, you're going, I don't know why you picked me, right? But the God of heaven chose you out of love and because he longs to be with you. He chose us for what? He chose us for salvation. Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. He chose us to be clean. He chose us to be without blemish. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus and no longer sees the blemishes of who we've been. So again, if everything is washed under the blood of Jesus in you and what God sees is Jesus, then our identity pieces shift and change. Amen? Amen. And the great thing is to amend that. And the other part is to really believe it in your heart. That all the things you've done that you carry around as a burden have actually been washed as far as from the east as from the west. Amen. Um, choosing, we were cho choosing. Boy, that's, I'm rocking today. We're choosing the word is this. Um, we were choosing and given a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not only were you chosen for salvation, but you're chosen and given a purpose. God has created you for a reason. You are in the body of Christ for a reason. The scriptures in the first Corinthians and Romans, where it talks about us being a part of the body, there are one, there's, there's you know, one body, many members. You were given an actual purpose and a reason for existence. You're here for a reason. And so if you just think you're here as some little pawn, that God is just blinking around everywhere and just you're just trying to hold on to the end of your days, that is demonic. That's not true. What is true is that God has a purpose for your life because he chose you. We know that the Holy Spirit gives gifts for the edification of the church. And every single person has gifting and calling and purpose. Amen. 
You're also chosen to receive an inheritance. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, what is our inheritance? Hmm? <laughs> I love the picture in Revelation where the elders are laying down their crowns and just worshiping him. Because, you know, we're all, we were all taught, hey, we're going to be in streets of gold. You're going to have a gold house, which some of that's just, just bad theology. Streets of gold is, is okay. But, you know, you're going you're gonna to have this enormous mansion. I promise you when we get there, all we will care about is him. The only thing we'll want and they'll lay down our crowns just like the elders and say, uh, Jesus, you're enough. You're what my heart has always longed for. That's our inheritance. Chosen to be children, Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let me say that again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, then fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Look at your neighbor. Oddly, just stare into their eyes deeply. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> and just say, hey, you're, you're a child of the living God. You ever grapple with this? Think about this, moms and dads. And if you're not a mom and dad yet, someday you'll get it, and maybe you'll be one of those great aunts or uncles or whatever. But think about it for a minute. Think about your child is your child and what passion you have to see them succeed, what passion you have for them to be protected, what passion you have for them to do something with their lives in a godly way. Think about all those things and how passionate you are. Now take that as the father heart of God and multiply that times a million. When we, God is not the God who stands on the sidelines and says, you idiot, what are you doing? You could have tried better. The God of the, our God that we have is a God, the good dad on the sidelines. It's like, yes, you can do this. You got it. Don't give up. Get back in there. That's the kind of father we have. Amen. Also called chosen to reign, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 12 says, this is a trustworthy saying, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Uh, this quote, um, Christians are not better people than any other man or woman, but we are blessed because of Jesus. We're not superior, we are chosen. Gosh, you're chosen. You're chosen by the living God. That should mean something to you. The next part, um, chosen race, goes on to the next piece of a royal priesthood. So the office of royalty and priesthood were jealously separated in Israel. They were two, they were two separate things. Very rarely did you see them cross paths. But Jesus, who is our king and priest, has brought them together for his people. We are royal now because we are sons and daughters of the king. Amen. So we're royal. You're a son, a daughter. I don't, I'm, you know me, I'm not big on people calling each other the king and queen. I know it's cute sometimes in relationships. That's my queen. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's great. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how many of you actually do that. Or that's my king. I doubt I see very many women saying that's my king, 
right? It kind of goes more the other way. <laughs> uh, but, but in the end, uh, there's only one. There's only one king. He's the king of heaven, and we are princes and princesses of the living God. Amen? I said that a little weird. Priests are ones that did what? They came into the presence of God. They offered sacrifices, worshiped to God. Now we are the ones. This is all about access. I now have access. Amen? I have a doorway to him. I am the temple of his Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the priests were the only ones that were in the holiest of holy. One a year could go into the sacred place and actually hear from the Lord once a year. Remember the whole thing where they would tie ropes on their ankles, and that way if they didn't make it out just because the presence of God just killed them, they would be dragged out by this rope. Nobody else could go in. This is why it's so vitally important that when Jesus gives up his life, the, the curtain is torn, right? This, and it's not like this is like seven inches thick. This thing is torn in half symbolically. To, 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 so what? The man no longer has separation from God, that it's not just one man that could go into the holiest of holies and be a part of what's going on and hear God's voice. We all can. We're all royal priests. We all have access to the king of heaven. Amen. A priest reflected God's holiness. A priest interceded through prayer for others. A priest represented God to the world. A priest brought spiritual sacrifices. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are our spiritual sacrifices? Everything and anything we give and we lay down in worship. So we talk about your job. Can your job be a spiritual sacrifice? Yes, if your spiritual sacrifice is what you do and that's the mindset you have to go into Jesus. I walk into this place today. This is not just where I work, Lord, but it's where I minister. It's where I'm called. It's where you put me and I'm here to do your will. Amen? Marriage, is that a spiritual sacrifice? Gosh, you got so lucky, didn't you? How do you have spiritual sacrifice in marriage? Guess what? Not always right. You might have some pride. And when you lay down those things for God to intercept and God to be the point of your marriage, those are spiritual sacrifices. And on and on and on and on and on. The next part says we're a holy nation. Everybody say holy nation. We belong to a nation of God. This is where our allegiance should be first and foremost. So we have a new governmental system. So we are a holy nation. If we're a part of a nation, then we are no longer under just the nation of America. Although I know I don't want any of you to beat me up or put me in your next Facebook blog, which by the way, I won't read it anyway. Um, but what I'm saying is proud to be an American, even though I'm Canadian. Amen. <laughs> I am proud of this country. I love so many things about this country, but that is not my first and foremost reigning governmental system any longer. The reigning governmental system for me is the kingdom, the kingdom that I belong to. So what he says supersedes. What he does, what he calls me to do, supersedes everything and anything. This is how I can disconnect myself from the political calamity and craziness. I can vote my conscience, whatever that is, but then I can leave it there and I can keep serving as I am under the reign of the king. So that means if there are people in office that we don't like or we don't agree with or you don't blah, 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 it doesn't matter because we are under the reign of a king who is just and he is supreme and he will have his way amongst the nations. Amen? 
So that word holy, holy means to be set apart. This, this word hagios, the idea in, inherent in hagios is taking something filthy, washing it, setting it apart as something brand new, useful for a different purpose, which is a picture of salvation for we who are filthy with sin were washed in the blood of Christ, the, the Lamb of God, and set apart now to become God's own special possession. We are a holy nation. And holiness isn't just a list of things. We are holy because he is holy. Amen? We don't have to be like, and then this is the thing about being a holy nation is we don't have to like try to be anyone else. Amen? Like we don't have to try to be like the Joneses. We don't have to try to keep up with other churches. Amen? We don't have to keep trying to do this, that, or the other thing. I am just a part of a holy nation, and that is my identity. I don't have to try to be anything else. I can be holy. First uh, Peter 1, 15 through 16. But he who has called you as holy and also be holy in your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. First Corinthians three sixteen through 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. There is a reason, John MacArthur says this, there's no need to even start down the Christian path unless you realize that it will compel you to be different from other people. We talked about this last week a little bit. Now that we're a part of this holy nation, uh, this royal priesthood, we don't have to act like anybody else. Matter of fact, we're not supposed to act like everybody else. We're supposed to act like him. We're supposed to, and it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we do it great all the time. And it doesn't mean that you cut some guy off on the freeway on the way home and need to repent. The point is, is that we're supposed to live in a set apart way. Number one, we've been set apart. We've already been set apart. We are set apart. We are his holy ones. We are the righteousness of God. And that way, the influx of fighting that we have in us is to hold on to that holiness, though. Hold on to the holiness instead of what my flesh says. But when we act like the people of the Bible, when we act like sons and daughters of the king, we will not look like everybody else. That's supposed to happen. It's not self-righteous. It's not better than anybody else. It's holy. There's a difference. And it's holy because he is holy. And we are to be holy because he is holy. Amen. The next part of it says, after this, royal priesthood, holy nation, and this is God's special possession. Um, <laughs> here's, here's how this word plays out. Um, for one's own possession, it says. Um, listen, I'm going to go out and buy a brand new, my dream truck, right? Kimmy's going to buy it for me. My brand new truck, uh, I'm kind of torn. I've always been a Chevy man, but lately I had a Ford and now I kind of like it. And I've never said that in my life. It feels like blasphemy. I kind of like my Ford truck. <laughs> I don't have it anymore. <laughs> I sold it to Pastor Jimmy. But anyway, so, but let's say I get my brand new Ford F-150 Platinum. I want, I'm old man mode now. I don't care about like fast and sporty, although I do like that a little bit. I want comfort. I want something massaging my backside. I want a screen the size of Texas in there with all the digital stuff. You know what I mean? I want it to ride like you're riding on the backs of kittens all the way through, all the way through life. Amen. <laughs> Now, that would be, it would be an amazing possession, but the word possession in here isn't me talking about my truck. It's me talking about my son. You understand? That word in the Greek, that word is possession. That is not a worldly possession. That's me talking about what I have in my wife or what I have in any of my children. 
God's own special possession. You belong to him, but he doesn't see you like a great truck or an old workhorse, whatever piece of junk truck that barely makes it down the road that just gets his purpose out of. He sees you as his child, his possession. It's his. You're his. Amen? Think about Antique Roadshow for a minute. You ever notice, like, you can get a pair of glasses, and, you know, a pair of glasses robbed by, worn by Rob Dan someday will probably come out to be how much? 12, 13 bucks. I mean, I'm trying to be... A... <laughs> but, what if, but what if Elvis owned those same glasses, and now, 50 years later, Elvis, um, Elvis wore those glasses, how much would they be worth? Yeah, here's why. The value's not in the thing. The value's in who the thing belongs to. You see that? You belong to him. And it makes your value immeasurable, his own possession. Now, we have to be mindful. I have to be mindful of this, is that we're a possession, and that came at a price, right? The scriptures are clear that we are God's holy possession, but 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought with a price, do not become bondservants of men. Isaiah 53, 4-5 says, Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We should never forget that our identity came with a price. There's no middle ground. Amen. The scripture goes on to say in verse 9, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's what all these things culminate as, proclaiming how good he is. What should a, what should a son and daughter with the proper identity, what should a royal priest, what should a holy nation, what should set apart people be? They should be proclaimers of the excellences of him. Amen. This is why worship is such a big deal. Thankfulness and joy. Dave Guzik said, the purpose for these high privileges is not so we can grow proud, but so we can proclaim the praises of the one who has done such great things for us. This is what happens when you get your identity correct. Worship, praise, and thanksgiving comes out of the heart of someone who has been overwhelmed by the fact that they are a son and daughter. You are a son and daughter of the King of heaven. Praise should erupt out of our lives. Thankfulness should erupt out of our lives. Joy shall erupt out of our lives. And we should proclaim the excellencies. Just like sharing the gospel. Like, you know, sharing the gospel isn't this, hi, do you smell sulfur? And then run away like you're going to die and go to hell. You know what I mean? All those things. There, there's time and place for that, okay? But <laughs> if everybody gets the, gets the hint there, um, if you're old school enough, um, Evangelism is proclaiming the excellences of those of, of him who saved you. Like, hey man, like I was, I was, I was believing the lies that I was trash, and I was nothing. I was in my sin, and then Jesus came, and Jesus transferred my life out of this hellacious place, and He placed me on solid ground, and now I'm a son. Like I actually have worth now. That's all evangelism is. Amen. Um. I think I've told this story before. Martin Luther struggled deeply with atonement. 
and he would go to his room every night and he would just bash and bash and bash himself and the enemy would lie and whisper over him. He had a really huge issue with, um, with the spiritual awakening. And then one night he ended up understanding that atonement was an alien thing. It was something that wasn't of him. It was outside that his holiness came from the outside, came from the cross, came from the Lord. And then it says that the devil came prowling around into Martin Luther's chambers one night, preaching death over him again. And Martin Luther says, you're right, but the blood of Jesus has made me clean. The blood of Jesus has made me righteous. And he spent the rest of his life proclaiming that. I call it yeah, but living. Everybody say yeah, but living. living. Mm -hmm. So here's the deal. Since it's true that believers have a new life principle, a new generation, a new access to God, a royal priesthood, a new government, a holy nation, a new owner, God's special people, it should and will and must affect the way you live your life. You are precious you are emboldened, you are empowered, you are loved, you are, the scripture in Zephaniah says the Lord sings over us. Like what kind of, what kind of God sings over his creation? That's who you are to him. The end of the text in verse 10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received, now you have received mercy. Is that, is that pretty difficult to expound? Once you were not, and now you are. To the Gentiles, what a refreshing breath of fresh air, because we didn't know we were included in on this bag, amen? <laughs> to us as God's people, we are now his people. We belong to something. Listen, my entire life has been spent trying to belong to something. My entire life has been me trying way too hard to fit in with people. I've been a wannabe in every single thing I've ever tried to take on in my life. A wannabe. Wanted so hard to be something. Wanted so hard to be someone. I wanted to be in with this group of kids or this kind of music people or this kind of thing playing this kind of band. I wanted it so bad because I longed to belong to something. And I never belonged to anything until I belonged to Christ. I might be a fallible man. I might be a man that battles with stuff, but you know what? I am a chosen one. The son of heaven, uh, the king of heaven has chosen me to be his, his son. Amen? Amen? This quote, we say that we define our identity in ourselves by what we have done and look like and say, but he says that he has already identified you with Christ and now you and he can start building your life around that. One of the world's, um, let me say this, one of the world's greatest tragedies is that God's children live like they're still ragscallions, still live like they're not followers of Jesus. When they walk around in self-doubt and hatred all the time, and I hear it all the time and we kind of make fun of it like, oh, I'm just, and I'm like, ha ha, yeah, me too, ha ha. But in the end, that promotes something that's wicked and that's not true. Like how you talk about yourself should change because you are actually, we, when we talk about ourselves in negative sense and in light, and I'm guilty of this just as anybody else, we are actually degrading the image of God's own possession. That should strike reverent fear into the bellies of people. You are created by God. You are loved by God. You are worth dying for. That's who you are. 
Back to our boomy. Our identity is in whose we are and not who we are or have been. We are who he says we are. This morning as we go into a time of worship, um, simply this. Um, I don't know about you, but right now, these days, I need a transference of identity. I need an identity, I call it a tune-up, right? And an identity tune-up about, about who I am and who I'm not and been believing just a bunch of stupid stuff and I've been looking at circumstances lately instead of the king and just get crowded down and down and down and down and down into this little hole where I feel like this abandoned little boy and I'm just in there and like the God of heaven is saying, no, my sons and daughters weren't created to hide in holes. My sons and daughters were called to create and, and, and walk in the truth and the reign with me. Like there's power in your words. Like mama told you to say nice things to you, Bubba and Sissy, right? But there's also power in your words of what you say about yourself. And guess what? You don't have to define yourself. He already has. And it's in his word. And he proclaims it through the power of his Holy Spirit. None of you are anything but cherished. Amen.